Section 2 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 2 Habits of Thrift. We begin with four quotations. Die Hauptsache ist, dass man lerne sich selbst zu beherrschen. The great matter is to learn to rule oneself. Goethe. Most men work for the present, a few for the future. The wise work for both, for the future in the present and for the present in the future. Guesses at truth. The secret of all success is to know how to deny yourself. If you once learn to get the whip hand of yourself, that is the best educator. Prove to me that you can control yourself, and I'll say you're an educated man. And without this, all other education is good for next to nothing. Mrs. Oliphant. All the world cries, where is the man who will save us? We want a man. Don't look so far for this man. You have him at hand. This man, it is you. It is I. It is each of us. How to constitute oneself a man? Nothing harder if one knows not how to will it. Nothing easier if one wills it. Alexander Dumas. Competence and comfort lie within the reach of most people, were they to take the adequate means to secure and enjoy them. Men who are paid good wages might also become capitalists and take their fair share in the improvement and well-being of the world. But it is only by the exercise of labor, energy, honesty, and thrift that they can advance their own position or that of their class. Society at present suffers far more from waste of money than from want of money. It is easier to make money than to know how to spend it. It is not what a man gets that constitutes his wealth, but his manner of spending and economizing. And when a man obtains by his labor more than enough for his personal and family wants, and can lay by a little store of savings besides, he unquestionably possesses the elements of social well-being. The savings may amount to little, but they may be sufficient to make him independent. There is no reason why the highly paid workmen of today may not save a store of capital. It is merely a matter of self-denial and private economy. Indeed, the principal industrial leaders of today consist for the most part of men who have sprung directly from the ranks. It is the accumulation of experience and skill that makes the difference between the workmen and the no-workmen, and it depends upon the workman himself whether he will save his capital or waste it. If he save it, he will always find that he has sufficient opportunities for employing it profitably and usefully. When I was down in Lancashire the other day, said Mr. Cobden to his fellow townsmen at Midhurst, I visited a mill in company with some other gentlemen, and that mill belonged to a person whose real name I will not mention, but whom for the present purpose I will call Mr. Smith. There could not have been less than three or four thousand persons engaged in this mill when it was at work, and there were seven hundred power looms under one roof. 
as we were coming away one of the friends who accompanied me patted the owner of the mill on the shoulder and with that frank and manly familiarity which rather distinguishes the lancashire race he said mr smith was a working man himself twenty-five years ago and he owes all this entirely to his own industry and frugality to which mr smith immediately replied in the same frank and good-humoured manner nay i do not owe it all to myself i married a wife with a fortune for she was earning nine shillings sixpence a week as a weaver at the power loom when she married me thrift of time is equal to thrift of money franklin said time is gold if one wishes to earn money it may be done by the proper use of time but time may also be spent in doing many good and noble actions it may be spent in learning in study in art in science in literature time can be economized by system system is an arrangement to secure certain ends so that no time may be lost in accomplishing them every business man must be systematic and orderly so must every housewife there must be a place for everything and everything in its place there must also be a time for everything and everything must be done in time it is not necessary to show that economy is useful nobody denies that thrift may be practised we see numerous examples of it what many men have already done all other men may do nor is thrift a painful virtue on the contrary it enables us to avoid much contempt and many indignities it requires us to deny ourselves but not to abstain from any proper enjoyment it provides many honest pleasures of which thriftlessness and extravagance deprive us let no man say that he cannot economize there are few persons who could not contrive to save a few shillings weekly in twenty years three shillings saved weekly would amount to two hundred and forty pounds and in ten years more by addition of interest to four hundred and twenty pounds some may say that they cannot save nearly so much well begin with two shillings one shilling or even sixpence begin somewhere but at all events make a beginning sixpence a week deposited in the savings bank will amount to forty pounds in twenty years and seventy pounds in thirty years it is the habit of economizing and denying oneself that needs to be formed thrift does not require superior courage nor superior intellect nor any superhuman virtue it merely requires common sense and the power of resisting selfish enjoyments in fact thrift is merely common sense in everyday working action it needs no fervent resolution but only a little patient self-denial begin is its device the more the habit of thrift is practised the easier it becomes and the sooner it compensates the self-denier from the sacrifices which it has imposed the question may be asked is it possible for a man working for small wages to save anything and lay it by in a savings bank when he requires every penny for the maintenance of his family but the fact remains that it is done by many industrious and sober men that they do deny themselves and put their spare earnings into savings banks and the other receptacles provided for poor men's savings and if some can do this all may do it under similar circumstances without depriving themselves of any genuine pleasure or any real enjoyment 
how intensely selfish it is for a person in the receipt of good pay to spend everything upon himself or if he has a family to spend the whole earnings from week to week and lay nothing by when we hear that a man who has been in the receipt of a good salary has died and left nothing behind himself that he has left his wife and family destitute left them to chance to live or perish anywhere we cannot but regard it as the most selfish thriftlessness and yet comparatively little is thought of such cases perhaps the hat goes round subscriptions may produce something perhaps nothing and the ruined remnants of the unhappy family sink into poverty and destitution yet the merest prudence would to a great extent have obviated this result the curtailment of any sensual or selfish enjoyment of a glass of beer or a screw of tobacco would enable a man in the course of years to save at least something for others instead of wasting it on himself it is in fact the absolute duty of the poorest man to provide in however slight a degree for the support of himself and his family in the season of sickness and helplessness which often comes upon men when they least expect such a visitation comparatively few people can be rich but most have it in their power to acquire by industry and economy sufficient to meet their personal wants they may even become the possessor of savings sufficient to secure them against penury and poverty in their old age it is not however the want of opportunity but the want of will that stands in the way of economy men may labor unceasingly with hand or head but they cannot abstain from spending too freely and living too highly the majority prefer the enjoyment of pleasure to the practice of self-denial with the mass of men the animal is paramount they often spend all that they earn but it is not merely the working people who are spendthrifts we hear of men who for years have been earning and spending hundreds a year who suddenly die leaving their children penniless everybody knows of such cases at their death the very furniture of the house they have lived in belongs to others it is sold to pay their funeral expenses and debts which they have incurred during their thriftless lifetime money represents a multitude of objects without value or without real utility but it also represents something much more precious and that is independence in this light it is of great moral importance as a guarantee of independence the modest and plebeian quality of economy is at once ennobled and raised to the rank of one of the most meritorious of virtues never treat money affairs with levity said bulwer money is character some of man's best qualities depend upon the right use of money such as his generosity benevolence justice honesty and forethought many of his worst qualities also originate in the bad use of money such as greed miserliness injustice extravagance and improvidence no class ever accomplished anything that lived from hand to mouth people who spend all that they earn are ever hanging on the brink of destitution they must necessarily be weak and impotent the slaves of time and circumstance they keep themselves poor they lose self-respect as well as the respect of others it is impossible that they can be free and independent to be thriftless is enough to deprive one of all manly spirit and virtue
but a man with something saved no matter how little is in a different position the little capital he has stored up is always a source of power he is no longer the sport of time and fate he can boldly look the world in the face he is in a manner his own master he can dictate his own terms he can neither be bought nor sold he can look forward with cheerfulness to an old age of comfort and happiness as men become wise and thoughtful they generally become provident and frugal a thoughtless man like a savage spends as he gets thinking nothing of to-morrow of the time of adversity or of the claims of those whom he has made dependent on him but a wise man thinks of the future he prepares in good time for the evil day that may come upon him and his family and he provides carefully for those who are near and dear to him what a serious responsibility does the man incur who marries not many seriously think of this responsibility perhaps this is wisely ordered for much serious thinking might end in the avoidance of married life and its responsibilities but once married a man ought forthwith to determine that so far as his own efforts are concerned want shall never enter his household and that his children shall not in the event of his being removed from the scene of life and labor be left a burthen upon society economy with this object is an important duty without economy no man can be just no man can be honest improvidence is cruelty to women and children though the cruelty is born of ignorance a father spends his surplus means in drink providing little and saving nothing and then he dies leaving his destitute family his lifelong victims can any form of cruelty surpass this yet this reckless course is pursued to a large extent among every class the middle and upper classes are equally guilty with the lower classes they live beyond their means they live extravagantly they are ambitious of glare and glitter frivolity and pleasure they struggle to be rich that they may have the means of spending of drinking rich wines and giving good dinners when mr hume said in the house of commons some years ago that the tone of living in england was altogether too high his observation was followed with loud laughter yet his remark was perfectly true it is far more true now than it was then thinking people believe that life is now too fast and that we are living at high pressure in short we live extravagantly we live beyond our means we throw away our earnings and often throw our lives after them many persons are diligent enough in making money but do not know how to economize it or how to spend it they have sufficient skill and industry to do the one but they want the necessary wisdom to do the other the temporary passion for enjoyment seizes us and we give way to it without regard to consequences and yet it may be merely the result of forgetfulness and might be easily controlled by firmness of will and by energetic resolution to avoid the occasional causes of expenditure for the future the habit of saving arises for the most part in the desire to ameliorate our social condition as well as to ameliorate the condition of those who are dependent upon us 
it dispenses with everything which is not essential and avoids all methods of living that are wasteful and extravagant a purchase made at the lowest price will be dear if it be a superfluity little expenses lead to great buying things that are not wanted soon accustoms us to prodigality in other respects cicero said not to have a mania for buying is to possess a revenue many are carried away by the habit of bargain buying here is something wonderfully cheap let us buy it have you any use for it no not at present but it is sure to come in useful some time fashion runs in this habit of buying some buy old china as much as will furnish a china shop others buy old pictures old furniture old wines all great bargains there would be little harm in buying these old things if they were not so often bought at the expense of the connoisseur's creditors horace walpole once said i hope that there will not be another sale for i have not an inch of room nor a farthing left men must prepare in youth and in middle age the means of enjoying old age pleasantly and happily there can be nothing more distressing than to see an old man who has spent the greater part of his life in well-paid-for labor reduced to the necessity of begging for bread and relying entirely on the commiseration of his neighbors or upon the bounty of strangers such a consideration as this should inspire men in early life with a determination to work and to save for the benefit of themselves and their families in later years it is in fact in youth that economy should be practised and in old age that men should dispense liberally provided they do not exceed their income the young man has a long future before him during which he may exercise the principles of economy whilst the other is reaching the end of his career and can carry nothing out of the world with him this however is not the usual practice the young man now spends or desires to spend quite as liberally and often much more liberally than his father who is about to end his career he begins life where his father left off he spends more than his father did at his age and soon finds himself up to his ears in debt to satisfy his incessant wants he resorts to unscrupulous means and to illicit gains he tries to make money rapidly he speculates over trades and is speedily wound up thus he obtains experience but it is the result not of well-doing but of ill-doing socrates recommends fathers of families to observe the practice of their thrifty neighbors of those who spend their means to the best advantage and to profit by their example thrift is essentially practical and can best be taught by facts two men earn say five shillings a day they are in precisely the same condition as respects family living and expenditure yet the one says he cannot save and does not while the other says he can save and regularly deposits part of his savings in the savings bank and eventually becomes a capitalist samuel johnson fully knew the straits of poverty he once signed his name impranus or dinnerless he had walked the streets with savage not knowing where to lay his head at night johnson never forgot the poverty through which he passed in his early life and he was always counselling his friends and readers to avoid it 
like cicero he averred that the best source of wealth or well-being was economy he called it the daughter of prudence the sister of temperance and the mother of liberty his mind his character self-respect originating in self-love instigates the first step of improvement it stimulates a man to rise to look upward to develop his intelligence to improve his condition self-respect is the root of most of the virtues of cleanliness chastity reverence honesty sobriety to think meanly of oneself is to sink sometimes to descend a precipice at the bottom of which is infamy every man can help himself to some extent we are not mere straws thrown upon a current to mark its course but possessed of freedom of action endowed with power to stem the waves and rise above them each marking out a course for himself we can each elevate ourselves in the scale of moral being we can cherish pure thoughts we can perform good actions we can live soberly and frugally we can provide against the evil day we can read good books listen to wise teachers and place ourselves under the divinest influences on earth we can live for the highest purposes and with the highest aims in life self-love and social are the same says one of our poets the man who improves himself improves the world he adds one more true man to the mass and the mass being made up of individuals it is clear that were each to improve himself the result would be the improvement of the whole social advancement is the consequence of individual advancement the whole cannot be pure unless the individuals composing it are pure society at large is but a reflection of individual conditions all this is but the repetition of a truism but truisms have often to be repeated to make their full impression then again a man when he has improved himself is better able to improve those who are brought into contact with him he has more power his sphere of vision is enlarged he sees more clearly the defects in the condition of others that might be remedied he can lend a more active helping hand to raise them he has done his duty by himself and can with more authority urge upon others the necessity of doing the like duty to themselves how can a man be a social elevator who is himself walking in the mire of self-indulgence how can he teach sobriety or cleanliness if he be himself drunken or foul physician heal thyself is the answer of his neighbors the sum and substance of our remarks is this in all the individual reforms or improvements that we desire we must begin with ourselves we must exhibit our gospel in our own life we must teach by our own example if we would have others elevated we must elevate ourselves each man can exhibit the results in his own person he can begin with self-respect the uncertainty of life is a strong inducement to provide against the evil day to do this is a moral and social as well as a religious duty Quote, he that provideth not for his own and especially for those of his own household hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel the uncertainty of life is proverbially true the strongest and healthiest man may be stricken down in a moment by accident or disease 
if we take human life in the mass we cannot fail to recognize the uncertainty of life as much as we do the certainty of death there is a striking passage in addison's vision of mirza in which life is pictured as a passage over a bridge of about a hundred arches a black cloud hangs over each end of the bridge at the entrance to it there are hidden pitfalls very thickly set through which the throngs disappear so soon as they have placed their feet upon the bridge they grow thinner towards the centre they gradually disappear until at length only a few persons reach the further side and these also having dropped through the pitfalls the bridge at its further extremity becomes entirely clear the description of addison corresponds with the results of the observations made as to the duration of human life thus of a hundred thousand persons born in this country it has been ascertained that a fourth of them die before they have reached their fifth year and one half before they have reached their fiftieth year one thousand one hundred will reach their ninetieth year sixteen will live to a hundred and only two persons out of the hundred thousand like the last barks of an innumerable convoy will reach the advanced and helpless age of a hundred and five years two things are very obvious the uncertainty as to the hour of death in individuals but the regularity and constancy of the circumstances which influence the duration of human life in the aggregate it is a matter of certainty that the average life of all persons born in this country extends to about forty-five years this has been proved by a very large number of observations of human life and its duration equally extensive observations have been made as to the average number of persons of various ages who die yearly it is always the number of the experiments which gives the law of probability it is on such observations that the actuary founds his estimates of the mortality that exists at any given period of life the actuary tells you that he has been guided by the laws of mortality now the results must be very regular to justify the actuary in speaking of mortality as governed by laws and yet it is so indeed there would seem to be no such thing as chance in the world man lives and dies in conformity to a law a sparrow falls to the ground in obedience to a law nay there are matters in the ordinary transactions of life such as one might suppose were the mere result of chance which are ascertained to be of remarkable accuracy when taken in the mass for instance the number of letters put in the post office without an address the number of letters wrongly directed the number containing money the number unstamped continue nearly the same in relation to the number of letters posted from one year to another now it is the business of man to understand the laws of health and to provide against their consequences as for instance in the matter of sickness accident and premature death we cannot escape the consequences of transgression of natural laws though we may have meant well we must have done well the creator does not alter his laws to accommodate them to our ignorance he has furnished us with intelligence so that we may understand them and act upon them otherwise we must suffer the consequences in inevitable pain and sorrow we often hear the cry raised will nobody help us it is a spiritless hopeless cry it is sometimes a cry of revolting meanness especially when it issues from those 
who with a little self-denial sobriety and thrift might easily help themselves many people have yet to learn that virtue knowledge freedom and prosperity must spring from themselves legislation can do very little for them it cannot make them sober intelligent and well-doing the prime miseries of most men have their origin in causes far removed from acts of parliament the spendthrift laughs at legislation the drunkard defies it and arrogates the right of dispensing with forethought and self-denial throwing upon others the blame for his ultimate wretchedness the mob orators who gather the millions about them are very wide of the mark when instead of seeking to train their crowd of hearers to habits of frugality temperance and self-culture they encourage them to keep up the cry will nobody help us the cry sickens the soul it shows gross ignorance of the first elements of personal welfare help is in men themselves they were born to help and to elevate themselves they must work out their own salvation the poorest men have done it why should not every man do it the brave upward spirit ever conquers the number of well-paid workmen in this country has become very large who might easily save and economize to the improvement of their moral well-being of their respectability and independence and of their status in society as men and citizens they are improvident and thriftless to an extent which proves not less hurtful to their personal happiness and domestic comfort than it is injurious to the society of which they form so important a part in prosperous times they spend their gains recklessly and when adverse times come they are at once plunged in misery money is not used but abused and when wage-earning people should be providing against old age or for the wants of a growing family they are in too many cases feeding folly dissipation and vice let no one say that this is an exaggerated picture it is enough to look around any neighborhood and see how much is spent and how little is saved what a large proportion of earnings go to the beer shop and how little to the savings bank or the benefit society prosperous times are very often the least prosperous of all times in prosperous times mills are working full time men women and children are paid high wages warehouses are emptied and filled goods are manufactured and exported wherries full of produce pass along the streets immense luggage trains run along the railways and heavily laden ships leave our shores daily for foreign ports full of the products of our industry everybody seems to be becoming richer and more prosperous but we do not think of whether men and women are becoming wiser better trained less self-indulgent more religiously disposed or living for any higher purpose than the satisfaction of the animal appetite if this apparent prosperity be closely examined it will be found that expenditure is increasing in all directions there are demands for higher wages and the higher wages when obtained are spent as soon as earned intemperate habits are formed and once formed the habit of intemperance continues increased wages instead of being saved are for the most part spent in drink thus when a population is thoughtless and improvident no kind of material prosperity will benefit them unless they exercise forethought and economy they will alternately be in a state of hunger and burst 
when trade falls off as it usually does after exceptional prosperity they will not be comforted by the thought of what they might have saved had it ever occurred to them that the prosperous times might not have proved permanent during prosperous times saint monday is regularly observed the bank holiday is repeated weekly where are all the workmen said a master to his foreman on going the rounds among his builders this work must be pushed on and covered in while the fine weather lasts why sir said the foreman this is monday and they have not spent all their money yet dean boyd preaching at exeter on behalf of the devonshire hospitals expressed his belief that the annual loss to the workpeople engaged in the woollen manufacture the cotton trade the bricklaying and building trade by idle monday amounted to over seven millions sterling if man's chief end were to manufacture cloth silk cotton hardware toys and china to buy in the cheapest market and to sell in the dearest to cultivate land grow corn and graze cattle to live for mere money profit and hoard or spend as the case might be we might then congratulate ourselves upon our national prosperity but is this the chief end of man has he not faculties affections and sympathies besides muscular organs has not his mind and heart certain claims as well as his mouth and his back has he not a soul as well as a stomach and ought not prosperity to include the improvement and well-being of his morals and intellect as well as of his bones and muscles mere money is no indication of prosperity a man's nature may remain the same it may even grow more stunted and deformed while he is doubling his expenditure or adding cent per cent to his hoards yearly it is the same with the mass the increase of their gains may merely furnish them with increased means for gratifying animal indulgences unless their moral character keeps pace with their physical advancement double the gains of an uneducated overworked man in time of prosperity and what is the result simply that you have furnished him with the means of eating and drinking more thus not even the material well-being of the population is secured by that condition of things which is defined by political economists as national prosperity and so long as the moral elements of the question are ignored this kind of prosperity is we believe calculated to produce far more mischievous results than good it is knowledge and virtue alone that can confer dignity on a man's life and the growth of such qualities in a nation are the only true marks of its real prosperity not the infinite manufacture and sale of cotton prints toys hardware and crockery the bishop of manchester when preaching at a harvest thanksgiving near preston referred to a letter which he had received from a clergyman in the south of england who after expressing his pleasure at the fact that the agricultural laborers were receiving higher wages lamented quote, that at present the only result he could discover from their higher wages was that a great deal more beer was consumed if this was the use we are making of this prosperity we could hardly call it a blessing for which we had a right or ground to thank god the true prosperity of the nation consisted not so much in the fact that the nation was growing in wealth though wealth was a necessary attribute of prosperity but that it was growing in virtue and that there was a more equable distribution of comfort contentment and the things of this lower world End quote. 
in making the preceding observations we do not in the least advocate the formation of miserly penurious habits for we hate the scrub the screw the miser all that we contend for is that man should provide for the future that they should provide during good times for the bad times which almost invariably follow them that they should lay by a store of savings as a breakwater against want and make sure of a little fund which may maintain them in their old age secure their self-respect and add to their personal comfort and social well-being thrift is not in any way connected with avarice usury greed or selfishness it is in fact the very reverse of these disgusting dispositions it means economy for the purpose of securing independence thrift requires that money should be used and not abused that it should be honestly earned and economically employed Quote, not for to put it in a hedge not for a train attendant but for the glorious privilege of being independent End quote. End of section two habits of thrift